Let's see. Let's go. No text. Done. Cool. Uh, tonight, I just want to spend a little bit of time. I had Friday, I had an exciting training on the legalities and rules and obligations of entering a school to teach religious instruction. Actually, not teach, instruct religion. Because you're not a teacher, so it's religious instruction. And, and yeah, you're laughing at me now, Wayne, because you understand the. Int- it's just like people can't be counselors on things anymore because the training hasn't been there. Same thing with teachers. So it's no longer religious education, it's religious instruction. Unless you're in New South Wales, and then it's religious education still. So if you're in the tweed, you're just confused. But. <laughs> In the midst of all that, like we're going back into Kimberley, hopefully have that started up in a couple of weeks' time and have a Bible-based program in there. Um, in the last week, I've had two people come up to me with their reading plans for the year um, and planning to read through the whole Bible this year, which is really exciting. Um, but rather than... like A lot of people sort of say, like, well... A disciple, what's a disciple look like? Someone who reads their Bible. Um, I I think the behavior is not the proper way to actually define things, but rather uh, the the inward drive behind it. So rather than a disciple being someone that reads their Bible, a disciple being someone who loves the Word of God would be more apt and appropriate with that. And so tonight I just want to discuss this one question, or, or two questions really. Why is it important... Why is the word important? Or another way to put that in a slightly different question, why is it important to instruct using the current lingo? Why is it important to instruct in the word of God? So why is the word important? Or why is it important to instruct the word of God? Or let's just use what makes more sense. Why is it important to teach the word of God? Um, I want you to think about that for 30 seconds. And then... Find someone else near you and engage with them in that answer on what you're thinking. So this, is, this isn't just preaching, though. We're going we're gonna to actually chat and, and engage in this. Maybe there's actually a personal experience that comes through that, something that has personally um, connected you with the Word of God, something that's actually happened that's beyond just words on a page that can back up and, and support your, your response to that as well. Okay? Find someone and discuss. You can get up or you can just turn to the person next to you. Um, either way. Discussion question. There's, there's a number, so you can pick one of the discussion questions. Why is the Bible important? Or why is it important to teach the Bible? And in there, either of them, then you may have a personal application story which backs up your answer. So an experience that relates to your answer. Is that articulated well enough now? Thank you. So... Engage with someone.
take another minute on that. that up in 15 seconds. And finish the sentence that you're on there. Lots of commas in that sentence. Great. So who, who wants to feed something back to us? Something that you just shared or come up with in your couplet or uh, something that you shared with you or something? Anyone? I know, I know people were talking and it wasn't just about the weather um, or the cricket score. Important to teach it because people don't engage with it enough on their own? Yeah? Nate? Important to teach the way to engage with the Bible. Anyone had anything related to either of those comments? Did anyone think of that stuff or were different stuff? Yeah? Lachlan's all over it. Um, that's neat. That's what I love about this is we've got lots of different answers, which is great. So important to know actually how to read and interpret the Bible and engage it in our lives. Important to teach it because not enough people read it. Apparently the current statistics say 2% of Christians read their Bible regularly, um, which is pretty scary. I think the statistic gets a little bit better for pastors, and I think it's something like 50. So, <laughs> anyway, Who else? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so engaging people who can't have their own personal interaction with the Bible, so it's important for them to be able to engage in it. Why is that important for, okay, like we're, we're talking probably inside the church. Why would that be important outside the church? Sorry? Words of life? Yep, they bring life in us. Mm. Sorry? Sword of the Spirit? Ephesians 6? Yep. Defend yourself from what? Mm -hmm. Mm 
Now, uh, let me ask the question of this. Is it defense of the enemy or attack of the enemy? Is a sword a defensive weapon? <laughs> Matthew 4, we should be familiar with this verse. So here we know Satan's come up and going, hey Jesus, you're hungry, here, have some bread or turn this rock into some bread and, and go ahead and eat it. Um, no, the scripture says people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So right there we know that the enemy came up and attacked him and, and said some things into his mind and into his spirit and without knowing the Bible, so not just having read it but actually memorizing and utilizing that, he was able to defend back and speak back against that and there was something that, that pushed that back. Um, anyone had experience with that? Well, that's, that's been personally applied and, and, and uh, there's a, a number of times where oh, a few years back we were... Um, I lost control of the culture and youth. I, um, I had lost the, the overarching feel and direction for nights. There were times where we had total control. It was just the presence of God there. There were times there where a number of the young people had forced and cultivated and I hadn't led well enough to actually take hold of the culture. And so that, that was a difficult time in ministry. And so what would happen is we'd leave the end of the night and um, often I'd feel deflated and discouraged. I'd be driving down the road, and I'd, I remember getting to the set of lights down the end of Lindale Street, and I'd often be sitting there looking at this red light in front of me, going, I'm just going to fill in a, a resignation form, and, 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 and this, this thought would come in, you've just got to quit, you're no good, you're just all these things. And so there at that point, I had an option either to listen to that or call on the word that was inside me that God says, hey, no, let, bring the young people to me. Let them come to me that I've called and appointed you. These things then, I had engaged in that, and so that was very relevant and, and real. Great. What else? Fifty-five, eleven. So it is my word, the word that goes out of my mouth that will not return to me empty or accomplish that which I desire and achieve for the purpose that I sent it. So what's that referring to? What would that look like in our lives? doesn't return to him. So it's actually got to go back to him and get back to him to achieve its purpose. So we need to know the word so we know how to pray. Um, it, it empowers our prayers and inhabits our prayers and then it actually achieves things. We know that when things are spoken, all of a sudden, oh wow, that, that actually came about. That actually started to happen because we actually used the word around Mm. 
we have personal experience that actually brings this stuff to life and, and empowers on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm just showing you these thoughts that you've had, um, there's scripture about them. That's mm. ah, close. Keep this book always on your lips, meditate on it so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So it tells us what to do. And then we've got a couple of things in there. This one's fairly, um, well, you know, don't merely listen to the word and be deceived, but actually do what it says. And then Joshua told us what to do with that. Why, how do we do that? Well, we've actually got to think about it, meditate on it in the morning, at night time. And, and so then it does some other things. Ooh, that one. Then you will be prosperous and successful when we do the things that, that are written in it. So it's actually, I think we, we spoke here before. You were saying that it's uh, life. It's actually a guidebook for life, a good way of living. It brings life and then what happens, prosperous and successful when we actually follow it. If you actually put it to the test, we, we know that. Have you ever considered this? This is, this is for a teaching thing. Um, our laws in Australia... Where did they come from? Yeah, okay. The basis for our, for our legal structure, the basis for our laws, the basis for our values as a nation. Ten commandments. Yep, a Judeo-Christian value system. And that's why we have people that are coming from other nations that don't share that value system, which struggle with it and struggle to actually implement on that. So what we have now is we have a generation of, of people who are growing up without the Bible in their homes. Our society, the legal structure of Australia, is based on the Bible. That's our marriage, like marriage is a big thing. We know marriage, one man, one woman. Where's that come from? The Bible. That's what the Bible's teaching on it is. Um, don't steal. Bible. Don't murder. Bible. It's the basis for our, for our value system. Even like we, we talk about Australian value system, a mateship, brotherhood. Love your brother as yourself. Mate. Um, love one another. By this you'll know that you're my disciples. And so we have the fact that our nation is intertwined underneath it. Despite what anyone wants to say and remove it from everything else. Despite that our nation is based on the, on the word of God. So we have a, a generation of young people who are, are growing up now where it, it used to be that the Bible was in every home. The Bible was spoken about. We go back into the 60s and you had 80, 90% of people had some form of connection with church. Um, now we're talking less than 10% of people in Australia have regular church attendance. Some people say four, some people say 10. So we're just going to say 10 just for sake of it. Um, on there. So what we're having now is people growing up without the word of God in their homes. We go and talk to children now thinking RI in primary schools. We've got 900 students just over the, over the hill here, um, down there. And guarantee if we're talking 10% of homes have the Bible in it. So let, let's be generous. 90 of those kids 
know the word of God. Um, you've probably heard me talk about Josiah before. He was at a birthday party a little while ago. Um, one of the mums sitting there and asking me, who's your son, Josiah? Oh, he's one of that Bible mob. So her son doesn't know anything about the Bible. I can guarantee that. There is no, no Bible knowledge at home. So what happens when they grow up and they're expected to live in our legal system and our value system in Australia? Now they've become a set of laws and external rules and external values which they don't know the basis for or the heritage for. And so at the very least, in our schools, the Bible should be taught in history. It's not, but it should be part of history, which, which points to where our whole nation got its framework from. And so actually going into schools and, and teaching the Word of God is vital to the future of our nation and the, susten- and the sustenance of our, of our legal system and our value system and our ethics and our morals to continue in on that, and to help these young people grow up and actually be people who function well in that society. Now, why is that? Because actually the Word of God changes us. We know when the Word of God comes alive in us, the Bible says that it actually sanctifies us. The Word of God sanctifies us. Now, I grew up 15 years reading the Bible and hearing the Bible, and it did not change me. Reading the Bible, hearing the Bible didn't change me until we also thank God, Paul spoke to the Thessalonians from Thessalonica. Um, We also thank God continually because of you. When you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it as human word, but it as it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now, here's the other bit. I grew up in um, church, around church for a long time. When I was 15, all of a sudden, I went, God is real. The Bible's real. And all of a sudden, at that point, whenever I'd read the word, almost had my values and my, my internal system changed. Because there's power in the word. The word is alive. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, able to discern between spirit and flesh. Who's ever read scripture or heard something preached and all you went, why are you preaching to me? Start talking to the person next to me, okay? Stop reading my mail. Get off my Facebook page. How did you know I was thinking that this morning? Would you shut up and talk to the person next to me? I'm like, the word of God's discerning inside us and, and it's alive. But it only does that once we start believing. And so we've got this interaction with the word that needs to happen through belief. Um, One of the things, I just want to talk a couple of things on it. One of the things Matt said before was about teaching and important for teaching. Um, A number of you guys are leaders, actually. Most people in this room are leaders in our church. Um, And so for you guys, it's really important talking about elders, they must have a strong belief and trust what he message he was taught and he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they were wrong. A strong belief in the trustworthy message. You know, one of the things as leaders that we've got to have is a strong belief in the word of God. Because as leaders, uh, 
one of the things that's really neat. We get a title, yeah, I'm a leader. I can do something. This is fantastic. What am I actually leading someone to? Where am I actually taking them? What's the, what's the map? What's the path now? And so without the word, there's no direction and inputting for that. And then this is really one of the basis of it all. All scripture, God breathed useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's vital in all these things. I just want to play a, a clip. Um, thank you for engaging with me in that. Um, is there audio on that, Josh? Cool. This is, just to introduce this, this is um, one of the things I, I want to do this year. I um, was sharing with, with Pastor Natalie the other day. Um, the guy who cleaned my pool the other day, he um, ended up having a, like a 40-minute conversation with me because he's not allowed to talk about religion, politics, or war at home. And so he was loving someone who would actually engage in politics with him and, and religion and, and war and talk all these things. And so his wife was like um, Catholic and his family were Christian, but always told, don't question, just accept. And he's like, but I have questions. And so he's in this point of going, I believe in a God I can connect with, but I'm not sure it's the God of the Bible. And I've got all these questions about that, but I'm not allowed to ask them. And so he's given a whole bunch of thought, and we had a whole heap of fun. But uh, one of the things I realized is that those questions are important. So one of the things I want to do this year is spend some time, and in the mornings and probably at night as well, um, once a month, just start picking out some of these really tough questions and, and talking about it. Because, let me say this, in this church we're not saying that. We can say, you can question. I want you to question. Because I want your faith to be real and, and established inside you. And so questions are, are important and vital. Anyway, so I just want to play a quick, uh, clip by Ravi Zacharias, who's probably the leading authority uh, when it comes to Christian apologetics. He's a professor. He's an old Indian fella and just speaks to, if you're in that uni student point or senior high school, really speaks to you well, um, extremely well. And don't let his age fool you. He's just one of those guys that connects and is a little bit funny but also knows how to use big words and use them properly. Uh, which is neat. And so here's a clip from just a uh, seminar you made or a few Hey, Robbie, how you doing? Hey, good to see you. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, um, could you explain in a manner maybe more pragmatic than we're used to why a person should believe in the Word of God as the Bible and why they should basically believe every word it says as opposed to any other holy book and why they should give their entire life to Christ? <laughs> I mean, I know it's a really rough question, but... <laughs> That's like saying define God and give three examples. <laughs> Isn't that just the Trinity? Uh, yeah, well, you're, it's a legitimate question. I'm sorry for responding humorously there. Of course, it takes, it takes a whole lot of time. Uh, in my book, Can Man Live Without God, uh, which, was, which was a series of lectures delivered at Harvard, the second part of it deals with that very thing. So let me start off as best as I can. First, I believe that truth as a category does exist. 
Number two, it is possible in a majority of claims of philosophical and historical statements to verify the truthfulness of those affirmations. Third, I believe there are existential realities from which I cannot run, which drive me to find the answers to the existential struggles that I live with, not just the philosophical ones. The philosophical ones are real and I have to deal with them, but so are the existential ones. And by the way, existentialism came as a response to the unpaid bills of philosophy. Philosophy had become so cerebral that the passions had been ignored and existentialism came into being and sort of tossed out the rationalistic way of interpreting things and went purely with the gut level feeling a la Sartre and Camus and so on. But I think what we are trying to do is if we are trying to find the bridge between the head and the heart, there are numerous ways of doing this. And the way you start off with by saying, if you take the Bible as the question, then why the Bible and why not any other system of thought? You start off with uh, the scriptures and ask yourself the question. Here there are 66 books by nearly 40 different authors over 1500 years that are books on history, that are books on philosophical thinking, that are books on theological thinking and systematic thinking. Now, if the Bible made several assertions, one after another, that you found out to be false, either historically or philosophically or in the existential realm, you go further and further, and if you see that kind of systemic contradiction and failure, then you have reason to believe that I cannot really trust this document. It is not in keeping with the way I am seeing history and reality. But when you look at the scriptures, and by the way, the Bible is a very distinctive piece of literature to any other religious piece of scripture. Any Muslim will tell you that his book, the Quran, is word for word perfect. It is a perfect revelation of Allah in the eye of the Muslim. They will affirm that again and again. That's why no translation in, of the Quran will ever do justice in their estimation of the Quran. It is the perfect expression of, uh, of Allah himself as dictated to Muhammad who recited it. Now, the Bible as we, know, as we know it does not affirm that verbal perfection. I actually have a great deal of difficulty with verbal perfection. Are we really saying that no one word would have been better than the other word in, in, these, in the volume of material? But when you take the scriptures disclosed over centuries and over, over 1500 years, as I said, 40 different writers, 66 books, and you see the prophetic schema all the way down to the person of Christ. Let me give you an example of this. The book of Daniel is written in the late 500s before Christ. And yet when you study the book of Daniel, you begin to see the specifics of a fantastic prophecy. He talks about a massive empire that will come into being and how that, that empire will be, will be divided into four. And that empire will be led by what they call a strident, strong he-goat from the west who will be marching several nations underfoot but shall be suddenly cut off and his empire will be divided into four. Those four then emerge into two and those two blend into one. When you take the book of Daniel, written late 500s, and put it pro forma onto Alexander the Great in the 300s before Christ, you see the stridency of Alexander suddenly cut off in his 20s. Four kingdoms emerged given to his four generals. Those four come into the two, the Ptolemaic and the Seleucid empires. That emerged then into the Roman Empire. Centuries before to be so specific in prophecy. You go to the prophecy of Zechariah 
who describes the crucifixion of Christ. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced and weep as a mother weeps for her only son. You go to the prophecy of Isaiah and see the, how the Christ is going to suffer. Immediately you see the supernatural. Immediately you see the supernatural. So when you take the miraculous element, you take the historic element, you look into the scriptures and you see there is an authenticity and it all points to one perfect person, the person of Christ. Bruce Metzger, who is a scholar from Princeton, made the comment, he said, after you take the 20,000 lines of the New Testament, it is safe for any scholar to say there's at least a 99.6% accuracy. No ancient document, none, has the kind of documentary support that the Bible has. Over 5,000 documents or even Time magazine in 88, I think, Richard Osling made the comment. One thing we cannot deny the Christians, he said, is the documentation that is available across the centuries. Nothing in ancient literature matches it. Neither Homer, nor uh, Aeschylus, nor any one of the, nor the Gaelic Wars of Caesar, whatever. So when you've got this kind of documentation, this kind of accuracy, that kind of a person in the person of Christ, I think you've got pretty compelling evidence to see why it is that we need to take Christ very seriously. Thank you. So yeah, you can say a bit of that stuff better than I can. Bible's important, so I, I don't want to ever instruct you to read it, I'd rather um, inspire you to love it, and then have relationship with it that way, um, because of it. Uh, let's just celebrate um, who the Bible points to there, uh, Ravi was talking about the fact that um, it points to one perfect person, and the whole Bible is, is the progressive revelation of God's love and his redemption of mankind through Jesus. And so, Lord, we just want to come and remember you now. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we've been chatting about your word tonight. We thank you that your word is alive. Lord, that it's God-breathed. We thank you that, in actual fact, when we read the word, we're actually getting to know you. Uh, you are the word of God. John 1.1. 1, 1. And you were there in the beginning, and the word was alive then, and the word is still alive today and living inside us and we just thank you though that as we engage tonight with that Lord we just want to engage more with you and so Lord we just remember you we remember your sacrifice we remember that Lord you um, Lord you you gave your body for us Lord we remember that you shed your blood for us and Lord also that we could have life and also that we could be redeemed and and have relationship with you and with the Father and so we thank you again tonight with that and we remember and so as we come to the table, Lord, we just celebrate you and thank you for who you are.